Hey there, Angela here. And before you listen to this episode, I need to address a significant error that I made regarding Hannah Gatsby's pronouns. I sincerely apologize for incorrectly using she, her pronouns for Hannah, who has stated their preference for they, them pronouns since April, 2023. This mistake was not only a breach of respect for Hannah's identity, but also a failure of our commitment to inclusivity and understanding. In my research for the episode, I was focusing heavily on the themes of autistic culture throughout Hannah's body of work, particularly their representation of autistic culture and the parallels in their memoir with Fern Brady's. However, this monotropic focus led to a huge oversight regarding their current pronoun usage. This mistake was unacceptable and disrespectful. And I am deeply sorry for the harm I know I have caused and the breach of trust with our listeners. I am so, so sorry. I want to clarify that while Hannah uses the title art lady to describe themselves, it is their choice to define their identity. My use of the word lady in the original title of this episode was inappropriate and different from Hannah's self-identification. For that reason, I have chosen to change the title. I understand how this could be perceived as an erasure of their non-binary identity And I wanted to make that adjustment as quickly as possible. So thank you so much to our listeners who called this to my attention for your vigilance for holding me accountable and this show accountable. The Autistic Culture Podcast is committed to being a safe space and a respectful space. And I failed to uphold that standard. I take full responsibility for that error. I promise to do better to educate myself further. We do have a sensitivity listener and we just miss this as a team. But what we can tell you is we will promptly correct mistakes like this in the future if they happen again, when they happen again, especially with your help and partnership in trusting us and letting us know you expect more from us. This episode has been updated with this disclaimer and a new title, but please note the original recording with the incorrect pronouns remains. So please listen with care. If it doesn't make sense for you to listen, skip this one. There will be many more episodes, but I really believe the content and hopefully with this apology will be valuable for you. I want to just affirm and confirm our respect and inclusion for all. So thank you for understanding. If you need to skip this one, I get it. If you do have a listen, I hope you will find value in this episode despite this significant oversight. Thank you so much. Oh, enjoy the show. Episode 54, Comedy is Autistic. Welcome to the Autistic Culture Podcast. Each episode, we dive deep into autistic contributions to society and culture by introducing you to some of the world's most famous and successful autistics in history. Before we get started, a quick disclaimer on how we use the word autistic. The purpose of this show is not to diagnose the people or characters we discuss as autistic. While some may have announced being autistic, what we're really sharing here is our observation of what is representative of autistic culture. It can sometimes be difficult for autistic people to celebrate our natural tendencies and traits due to the perception of autism as a disorder that needs to be fixed, a long history of damaging medical interventions to get autistics to fit in with mainstream culture, and protective masking skills many of us have developed to try to stay safe. Whether you are autistic or just love someone who is, your hosts, Dr. Angela Loria, the linguistic autistic. And licensed psychological practitioner, Matt Lowry, welcome you to take this time to be fully immersed in the language, values, traditions, norms, and identity of Autistica. Autistica. 
hey, Matt. Hey, Angela. I got a good show for you today. Are you ready for this? I, I am. What do you got? I am bringing on two of my favorite female comedians Ooh. from small towns in colonized countries. So we've got Fern Brady, who is from Scotland. I think they were colonized at some point by the British. They must have been. They're still fighting for independence. Uh, I and, remember something with um, uh, Mel Gibson and face paints. So, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. The word freedom might be involved, but probably not because Mel Gibson's scary. Yeah. And Hannah Gadsby uh, from the fine, fine state of Tasmania in Australia. Uh, where my favorite actually, devils are from. Yes, many people's favorite devils are from there. My favorite, uh, <laughs> Hannah Gadsby, is from there. So uh, both of these female comedians are late diagnosed autistic women with recent memoirs that I could not resist reading. Um, I, uh, I, I'm start by telling you a little bit about their books and then we'll go into, uh, by the way, if anybody reads these books, we'll put them in the show notes. I highly recommend reading them together. There are so many parallels. I'm going to walk you through the parallels. It's super fun. Um, but I first found out about Hannah Gadsby when everyone else found out about her when her Netflix special exploded on during the pandemic. So it's called oh, yes. Nanette. It's basically Eat, Pray, Love for Autistic Women. We all okay. like flocked to the madness. Um, and her book is called... So she has... I think she has three um, Netflix specials that are up there now. So there's Nanette. And then after that, she did Douglas, which is about either the pouch of Douglas or her dog named Douglas or both, depending on your interpretation. Uh, and then she has a third one out there. I'm forgetting the name right now, but y'all will find it. Um, but Nanette was the explosive one. And then also this year in Nanette, she talks extensively as most comedians do about art history, obviously. And um, particularly all the reasons she hates Pablo Picasso, primarily because he was like a, child rapist, which is one of the things you might, you know, find. That, that, that was a major factor in deciding who I dislike. So yeah. 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 It's, it's funny. Hannah's as well. She's like, Oh, okay. There's a thing to note. Yeah. Um, and she did a, uh, for Pablo Picasso's, uh, recent, I don't know, anniversary of his death or birth or something. She curated an art exhibit at the art museum in Brooklyn recently. So I went to that and was reminded of all the reasons I thought she was fabulous. And then I picked up her memoir, which is called 10 Steps to Nanette. So it's basically how does she become the person who wrote this comedy show, but it's sort of like the end of comedy. Um, she kind of kills comedy. It's a very, very cool structure. Um, in the show, the first half, and she reveals this in the memoir, but the first half is almost like a regular comedy show. And then the second half, she deconstructs it all and makes you extremely uncomfortable. And it becomes, I think a lot of people who don't like it um, says that it, like, it becomes like a bit of a rant or a lecture. Um, but it is incredibly uh, on the nose. It's pretty amazing. So she did the same exact thing with the book in these 10 steps to Nanette. It's like, what, how did she end up there? And it's also at the same time, just her life story kind of starts yeah. at the beginning of her life and goes through her experiences with gender-based violence and misogyny and sexual abuse and homophobia and fat phobia and ableism and all of the things she needed to have experienced to be the person who wrote Nanette. Um, as she says, I'm just triggering all the warnings. So yeah. the whole book is a trigger warning, really. And then I found Fern Brady because my husband and I are obsessed with this TV show called Taskmaster, uh, which yeah. is a UK kind of panel comedian TV show. And as soon as Fern Brady came on, we both were like magnetized by her presence on camera. We're like, who is she? We love her. I had to learn everything about her. And her book is called Strong Female Character. One of the things that I love about this title for the book was it was a joke. 
So she was joking with her uh, holistic editor and they're like, oh, we love that title. So it's very tug in cheek in her opinion. Um, she, like Hannah, was misdiagnosed many times with all the things. Um, and um, so Hannah talks about how she started doing stand-up God, I wish I saw this. Uh, she started doing stand-up in Australia, won a contest. Then she went to the Edinburgh Fringe Festival. And from the time she did her first stand-up shows, uh, people from the autistic community would come up to her after the show and be like, hey, did you know you're autistic? And this is not always a great approach. Even if you notice autistic culture traits, maybe don't tell someone they're autistic. Um, because she talks about how many people came up to her after shows and said many things like, have you ever tried Roquefort cheese? And she would immediately like research it and do it. But this one repeatedly, people would tell her, do you know you're autistic? You're autistic. You seem autistic. All these jokes are funny because they're autistic. And she like, boom, put up a big wall and decided she would never research that. Fascinating. Right. So very interesting. She was super annoyed by it. Sort of a similar thing with Fern Brady. So she said 20 years before she was diagnosed. I think there's about 10 years between them. Fern's in her mid thirties. And I think um, Hannah's in her mid forties. I could look it up, but it's roughly that. So about 20 years before she was diagnosed, she heard Fern first suggested uh, that she might be autistic. She read a she read a description, and she was like, "Oh, that's totally me." She knew it, but no matter what she did, she got diagnosed with everything else: bipolar, depression, schizophrenia. Like you name it, she was diagnosed with literally did, everything else. Did she make eye contact and arrive in a car that she drove herself? Yeah. Also, she's yeah. pretty. Oh, there you go. Yeah, can't have that. And yeah, had boyfriends. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Because if you have a relationship, can't possibly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, so, yeah. So she's like, must be something else. Um, so she said uh, she actually wrote this, which I don't recommend. I help autistics write their memoirs. Um, she wrote this only a year after being diagnosed. So maybe if you're famous and have a big book deal. Like I can help you with that, but it is really soon. But she said writing it helped her make sense of a lot. Her bafflement with social etiquette, her exhaustion with social socializing, sensory overload in noisy, bright spaces, difficulty identifying her own emotions and a need for routine. I have a little quote about her need for routine. Matt, will you <clears throat> regale us with some Fern Brady? Uh, uh, I, I'm going to read this in my natural accent, even though, you know, because I, I fear, you know, not being able to pull off the Scottish dialect. But, uh, yeah, oh, I would love a little Scottish, but yeah, yeah. I feel you. <laughs> yeah. Sameness is what I thrived on. I'm told that the appeal of holidays for most people is the novelty and the break from the humdrum of everyday life. My family concluded among themselves that I was an arsehole where I slip into Scottish. I don't know why I was so unhappy on holidays either. So I had no other option but to agree with them. Yeah, that, that's Charlie Brown Christmas syndrome right there. So those are the two books. Those are the two comedians. They both have huge success at the Edinburgh Comedy Festival, which is every summer in Scotland. That's how they break out. And they end up telling their stories. And they come from such different backgrounds, such different experiences, but so much in common. And one of my favorite little, this is just like a little gem, but it's so specific. In both of their memoirs, they write about eating in the bathroom at school. Yeah. So fascinating. You said, yeah, like you've heard, have you heard this before? Did you eat in the bathroom oh. at school? Do you know about this? <laughs> I worked for 10 years in a middle school. Yeah. 
I mean, that, that, that's how I identified autistic kids because the, the cafeteria is too loud and noisy and chaotic and you can't possibly survive that environment. And that's a big reason why. So my boss got very upset with me that I didn't take lunch breaks because again, the lack of meat body connection. And I'm like, I'm fine. I don't need to eat through the day, even though I get very buzzy and irritable by the end. But uh, another big reason was uh, there was like an hour and a half that all the kids would have lunch. I would just like leave my office open during those times and the autistic kids would just naturally come and sit in my office and eat. And they all just came in and sat together and just did autistic chit chat of, hey, I got a new Yu-Gi-Oh deck. Oh, that's fantastic. And they all just it was a very nice, quiet place that they could retreat from the world. And uh, because, again, the alternative was going and hiding in the bathroom or the library. When I was young, I went and hid in the library during lunch because I didn't want to be around, yeah, you know. That was uh, me. I was people. I'm like, I've got some important reading to do. I don't know about you guys. The other thing which was uh I will now show my age. Um but we I can't believe I'm going to say this. This is going to sound like a lie. We had a smokers court in high school where the smokers could go out and I would go out to the smokers court. I know. I'm like, Oh, this is so Gen X. Do I even share it? It's real bad. But yes, I would go out to the smokers court. And actually, I don't even remember. I think it was Hannah talked about that. That was why she started smoking. One of the two of them started smoking for that reason, because you could get away from the noise for sure. A huge selling feature for me. Yeah, uh, I, I know many, many people who started smoking a variety of things because those were the people that didn't judge them. Everyone wanted to get away yep. from everything. And it was a way to socialize without socializing. Right. There's always one person. I like that's my favorite kind of socializing. The one person that's outside smoking. It's great. Yeah. yeah. Um, by the way, I'm watching Breeders, Martin Freeman, who is the... Um, you know who Martin Freeman and he was in the Sherlock with Benedict Cumberbatch. Yeah. He he was Bilbo Baggins. I mean, and the original and also that. Yes. All the things. Oh my God. You have to watch this. It's so great. He also goes outside and smokes. I can't. So good. A plus you got to watch breeders and maybe there'll even be an episode on it. That'll be awesome. I actually do have an episode coming up that I've been working on on parenting And it's a lot, his character is autistic and uh, I just, has many traits of autism. And his very loud children kill him. I mean, he loves his children, but he may also have to murder them. And that was my experience of having toddlers. It's just the sound level is unacceptable. Can everybody sit down now? Oh my goodness. That's where these nice noise canceling headphones come in because you're, you can watch and smile and say, yes, I can hear you better with the headphones. Yes, exactly. We love sharing stories of autistic culture. And if you are seeing yourself in any of these stories and you're wondering if maybe you're one of us or maybe you're already diagnosed or self-diagnosed and you want to know if Matt can help you live your life better and be more authentically autistic, check out his website at mattlowerylpp.com. That's Matt, M-A-T-T, Lowry, L-O-W-R-Y. And then that LPP, it stands for Licensed Psychological Practitioner. So head on over to mattlowrylpp.com and learn more about working with my buddy, Matt. Okay, so this is uh, from Hannah's book. She said, I always got in trouble uh, for eating in the bathroom and my mom couldn't figure out why I uh, couldn't eat at school with all the other kids. We eventually switched in high school to crackers with a side of peanut butter that I could apply at lunch. It was a huge issue for me and all the times I got caught throwing out food at school too, uh, and all the calls and notices to my parents about me throwing out my lunches. Um, so yeah, really, really like both of them, lots of struggles in school. Uh, Fern sort of academically always did really well, got a scholarship, went to Oxford. Hannah was also brilliant, but she would have these 
special interests like art history. And it didn't matter what the assignment was for class. She would just turn in a paper on art history and then not get a good grade because she's like, I don't want to do that other thing. Yeah, because no intrinsic motivation means no work. Mm -hmm. So they keep trying to figure out what the hell is wrong with Hannah. She gets diagnosed with depression, ADHD. Um, Fern gets diagnosed bipolar, OCD. Um, And uh, let's see, specifically when they both ask about autism, uh, Fern is told you cannot be autistic because you're making eye contact and you have a boyfriend. We joked about that earlier, but that is the quote. Hannah was told you can't be autistic because you're too fat and too female to be autistic. She talked about that in one of her specials. And I want to address the too fat one because uh. I got this one too. Like, um, so when you're overweight, no matter what's wrong, like let's say you break your wrist, the first thing every doctor wants to tell you is you need to lose weight. Yeah. So like, any medical complaint you have, like, so, like, I think I might be autistic. They'll be like, have you tried losing weight? Because yeah, we find yeah. this is like, this is the answer to everything. So I don't think they said like, fat people, Hannah, can't be autistic. I think she said, am I autistic? And they're like, have you tried losing weight? Because that's literally what yeah. they say to absolutely everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because the, it's, it, the medical industry is incredibly fat phobic. Yes. So... Both of them find a path to drugs and alcohol. So Hannah gets a little too into drinking. This also leads to like her first very fucked up sexual encounter um, because she notices when she drinks, all of the sensory stuff doesn't bother her as much. Um, And Fern talks about weed uh, also talks about uh, some other drugs. Hannah talks about writing Nana on MDMA. That was kind of interesting. Do she does not do that anymore, but good to know. Um, Fern, interestingly, is like me. I don't know if you know if this is an autistic thing that other people have, um, but she talks a lot about how she doesn't drink. And I literally yeah. don't drink. Like, I don't not drink at all. Like, if you hand me a champagne on New Year's Eve, like, I'm happy to hold it and have a sip. I'm not like... But I just don't... There's nothing I like about drinking. Mostly yeah. the taste. <laughs> Let's start yeah, there. Yeah. It, it tastes like cat Or the urine. feeling of being drunk. It tastes like cat what? Like urine. Yeah. Urine. Yes, yeah. I would agree with that. Yeah. And, and I, I never really saw the appeal of it. My father enjoyed the booze. And uh, I was like, no, I'll, I'll pass on that. Thank you. Mm. But um, I never got into any other drug. I don't like the feeling of not being in control. But when I was super suicidal, I had this doctor who gave me this prescription and it was kind of like the way she explained it to me, it was like in case of glass, like in case of emergency break glass, she was like, if you ever are getting really serious about committing suicide, please take this. And I didn't really know what it was because I'm not really into like drugs or drinking or altered states. And um, so anyway, it was like clonopin. Didn't know, like didn't know what it was. And there was one day where, I don't know, it must've been an emergency because I broke the glass and I had it. And I was like, well, this is fantastic. I could do this every day. She gave me a prescription of seven. I took one and immediately threw the other six out. I'm like, these can't be in my house. These can't be in my house. I'm like, no, I loved everything about that. I loved it. I loved it so much. I immediately threw it out. I was like, "Ooh, this!" I'm like, "No, you're thank aware you." That you can be hooked on it. Yeah, I just I have the same thing ever since I fell in love with Frogger when I was 13. I don't download video games because I know I did. I did uh, once. We we do. We are a people that uh, we go all the way with things. Yeah, so. there was. I got fired from a job once because I got into what's that? You'll know this movie. What's the movie with the squirrel who's always looking for the acorn and it's super cold? Ice Age. So they had an Ice Age Sims style game. 
awesome. And you could like build villages or something. And literally I got fired from my job because they had to tell me like five times, you cannot play this game all day at work. I know there's something that happens. Now I have a sip of champagne and nothing tells me have another sip. Yeah. I will just hold the glass. I will warm it. I think it looks pretty in pictures. So I'm happy to hold glasses of things. Yeah. I like I like cocktail. I do not like a martini glass. That is not for me. There's just spillage. I don't understand that design. That's yeah. not, I'm it's a little not too clumsy. Liquid. Yeah. No, unless you want to spill the liquid. I don't, that's yeah. not for me. But I will hold a champagne glass or a wine glass. I might even hold a highball if it's got something muddled in it. I don't even know what that means, but I'll do it. Um, but yeah, I and nothing makes me want more. But that one clonopin, I was like, oh, I see what happened. So this is a quote from Hannah Gadsby. The first time I took Valium was the first time that I experienced being unbothered by my own body. Mm. The thing is, until the calm of that little pill spread its lovely little tentacles all through me, I had absolutely no idea how uneasy in my own skin I'd always felt. I'm not just talking about pain either. It's more of an extreme and ever-present awareness of my body, as if I don't quite fit myself properly, as if my flesh is a pair of underpants that is forever sliding up the butt crack of my soul. Yeah, the, the meat body is a thing. Uh, well, I, I had a kidney stone back in uh, 2015 because, again, a lack of body awareness telling me, hey, you should go to the bathroom more than once a day. And uh, they, they gave me oxycodone. And I, I, I took a couple of, and, uh, I was just so out of it. I was like, no, we can't be doing that anymore. Cause you know, just not having that. And, mm. uh, when I, my divorce, uh, uh, I got PTSD from when my son was in the NICU and when uh, I got divorced, the PTSD went out of control and I needed some intense therapy and, uh, they, they taught some relaxation techniques. And I remember distinctly, there was a guided meditation technique. And uh, when this guy, a very, very good therapist guiding us through this. And I remember for the first time in maybe five years, uh, my butt unclenched. And it was this remarkable feeling of, oh my God, I have been so tense for so long. And being able to replicate that uh, is a remarkable, remarkable thing because we, we often get so accustomed to being so tense and so omnipresently hyper aware of things mm -hmm. that we, it, again, this is the thing that leads to the burnout. This is the thing that leads to all of our, the, the, the hyper arousal, the constant surge of cortisol, all the things that destroy our meat body, because we cannot turn off that hyper arousal, that hyper awareness. Mm -hmm. And it can be very, very difficult. For me, it was uh, my hamstring. So I'd had I'd gone to like yoga classes where they try and do, I don't know, something with a belt. You're supposed to like cross one leg over a knee. And I, no, this does not happen in my world. And yeah. the first time it was actually when I was doing equine therapy oh, um, yeah. and my hamstrings relaxed. So what I, I may have talked about this on here, but she was like, you had to get the horse to walk in a circle. Uh -huh. And I did it right away because I'm awesome and I'm the best. And then she wasn't proud of me. I'm like, nobody else was able to do it. And I was able to do it. How come I'm not awesome? Give me praise. I was, yeah. I was like, I have shown my value. Yeah. Like, please like deliver. And then she said, okay, now do it without forcing the horse. And I'm like, how did I force the horse? I'm standing in the middle. Right. And I just like got the horse to walk. I didn't force then, a horse to do anything. <clears throat> They're huge. Right. And so she's like, try relaxing your hamstrings. I have no idea why she said that. And I was like, oh, people How did can she pick up on your hamstrings? She's a genius. Wow. She's amazing. Um, I think she said, try relaxing. She said, she, I think she guided me through my body and said, where do you feel tension? And I don't feel anything in my body. So it was super hard. This is so the then she was like, tighten everything, relax it, tighten it, relax it. And she went like body part by body part. And I realized like, 
the way I force everything, like, I don't know, the lady in the grocery store to not speak to me when I'm checking things out is I just like clench or shorten or something my hamstrings. Yeah. So I'm like always like this, but it doesn't feel like I'm always like all tight and scrunched up because it just feels normal because it's 100% of the time. So then she's like, okay, can you get the horse to walk in a circle if you if you are relaxed, if your body is relaxed? And I was like, but why would you relax your body? I don't, how would you function in the world? What is the purpose the of body relaxation? Tell what, me. Why, why we do this? I don't understand. And I realized like so much in my life, my teachers, like in conversation with friends, whenever you hear that like super pressured speech, my whole body was like super tight and pushing me. But so I, and I will often say like, I wish I drank. That would be like, great. It wouldn't be great. Cause that's why we have so many addiction problems. Um, but my drug of choice was always food, particularly uh, yes. carbohydrates. So, oh God, yes. Yeah. Cause uh, again, not a big drinker, but give me a sack of potatoes and I will, I, I will eat raw potatoes. Correct. I mean, literally Samwise Gamgee had it correct. Literally any form of potato is a valid potato. Yep. Correct. That is correct. So both Fern and Hannah write extensively about their food issues. It's really interesting because it's from different perspectives. So Fern figures out she wants to be on TV and she figures out that skinny girls get more parts. Yeah. So she starves herself. She's got, uh, I, I think she starves herself and I think she also um, like purges. I think it's like bulimia. Um, and she observes there is a lot of fat phobia in the entertainment industry because she's got a great pattern recognition. And so the more she starves herself, the more she gets parts. And so then I guess part of the entertainment industry, she writes about this is like agents or producers will like invite you to lunch, but you're not really supposed to eat, but you're not supposed to say you're not eating. So she goes to lunch and she orders whatever she orders, a salad or something. And, um, And they will say to her like, wow, you look amazing. You look great. What are you doing? And she'll say, oh, I'm starving myself so that I get more parts. And then they don't cast her because they think she's batshit crazy. So she's like, I am not eating this food that I ordered because I'm starving myself, but I know I have to order the food. And then she's like, oh, you also have to even though every, all of the women are starving themselves to get parts, you have to pretend you are not starving yourself. I am fine. Are you fine? I am fine. Right. This is a very strange game. Have you tried just suffering? (laughs) So, because like, okay, you figure out don't eat, but then you also have to figure out pretend you're eating or eat and throw up and also don't tell anyone you're eating and throwing up. Even if you go to the bathroom with them and you throw up together, we can't talk about this. Like this is way too complex for me. I just decided uh, I'm going to eat the things um, because it's too jangly in this meat suit and it quiets the noise a little bit for me. Not quite as good as Valium, but okay. We are thrilled to announce the launch of the Autistic Culture Podcast Tea Public Store. Woohoo! You can now get t shirts, hoodies, mugs, and more featuring original designs related to autism and our show. Whether you want to showcase your autistic pride, spark conversations, or just share your love of the podcast, we've got some cool merch options for you. And guess what? Our paid subscribers on Substack get a special 10% off code for the store. If you subscribe to our newsletter at autisticculture.substack.com, you will get exclusive subscriber content plus a 10% discount code you could use at our Tee Public merch store. 
Every purchase helps support our show, so if you want to proudly display your autism ally status and values, browse the store today and be sure to tag us on social media showing off your gear. We just want to say thanks to all of our listeners and our paid subscribers, especially for making this podcast possible. All of the money from our Tee Public store goes to pay our amazing staff, and we could not do this without your support. We hope you love the merchandise. I love it, Matt. I, I'm very excited about it. I can't wait for my mugs and magnets and stickers and uh, various pillows to show up because there's a certain source of pride that comes from having your quote on a pillow. So I'm excited. Find us at Tee Public or look for the link in the show notes. Hannah talks about um, she never thought about losing weight. Uh She had enough other problems that she was focused on. Um, But the line, if you lose weight, all these feelings, uh, all these problems will go away was coming at her from the outside. So whenever she had, she had a bunch of medical conditions, she had a bike accident, she had um, depression, like whenever she would get this lecture that we have all gotten. But for her, it never... Like that, that didn't get internalized in exactly the same way. So, um, definitely different, I think, weight and food issues for the two of them. But I think weight and food is huge for a lot of autistic people. Oh, yeah. And I did a poll. So I oh. reached out to in a nutritionist group and said, like, what's, what do you find with autistic people? And this is a quote from an autistic uh, she, a dietitian who works with autistic people. So this here's what she said. Yes. Hmm. I'm a dietitian working in disability and in my autistic client base, underweight slash overweight is split pretty evenly. Exclamation mark. Some of my clients have sensory sensitivities which limit their food intake, and some have sensory needs which increase it. Exclamation mark. Of course, it's more complicated than that, but just wanted to say that autism is definitely not related to a certain size or weight. Because it's, again, it's not like we're a monolith and we all have a universal body type because right. some of us enjoy the couch, some of us enjoy running, and uh, some of us enjoy oh, running, running to a the lot. couch. Yeah, yeah. Right, right. So very interesting. Also, um, like uh, there's conversations about like what kinds of food they eat and stuff like that. It's all very interesting. Uh, Hannah works in a deli. She falls. She has a bike accident. She falls. She's like super clumsy. Um, also, Fern talks about being clumsy and falling at work. But this comes up because Fern has a very interesting job. Do you know what job Fern did before comedy? What job did she do before comedy? She was a stripper. Oh, oh, well, there you go. So, then. Okay, this is fascinating. So apparently, the at least the strip club she worked at, a lot of strippers are autistic. Yeah, uh, I've actually found that. Did you that. know this? Yeah, there's, uh, uh, so uh, my friend, uh, Dr. Cade Sharp, recently got his PhD, uh, studies autistic sexuality. Uh, we, we, I've been trying Have to get to him to do that episode, show, yeah. Yeah, it's fantastic. He's on but a list But there's a somewhere. lot of autistic uh, women and a lot of uh, autistic trans people who are in the sex work industry. Because uh, number one, we don't have the same sort of, you know, issues with sexuality that a lot of holistics do. Uh we, we often enjoy being unclothed because it's our natural state. And uh, because of, you know, disability stuff, because of, you know, uh, inability to get through interviews, inability to work a nine to five cubicle shift, inability to work in the, you know, the, the sector where, you know, you have to make customer service stuff all day long. If you can make an immense amount of money by just being naked, then, hey, why not take that opportunity? And here's the thing. It's like you read her book. (laughs) Chapters and chapters on this. So fascinating. So first of all, why do people go to a strip club? What are they hoping to see? Boobies. Yeah. It's great. It's very straightforward. You don't have to wonder. Yeah. You don't have, no one ever has to explain the appeal of boobies. 
Yeah. yeah. You say, no- you know, I like boobies. Well, of course, everyone from infant to old people, <sighs> male, female, straight, gay, everyone okay, enjoys do a know, movie. Do not know this is true, but what I do know is autistics love some straightforward communication. We do. And like Fern has faced a lot of sexual violence. So Hannah has as well. And this particular working arrangement is super clear. First of all, there's bouncers there. So the people there can't touch you. If they do touch you, there's protocols in place. There's rules on the outside that are written down that say like what you can do and can't do or you will get kicked out of the club. Yeah. So she knew what all of the rules of engagement were. And the biggest challenge she has is there are these very, very high heels oh, that God. you have to wear, but she's like a little bit clumsy. So her her challenge at work is not being naked. It's not the guys. She's like, the guys were actually really fucking gross, but yeah. they were also following the rules. Like our problem isn't, people being assholes it's people being inconsistent and being assholes that makes it extra confusing so she's like all the other guys i was fucking were also assholes to me but i was blindsided by it and confused by it these guys i was like oh they have a license to be an asshole that's why they came here so that was really really fascinating before that she had trouble keeping a job the hours didn't work for her showing up on time didn't work for her hannah was also largely unemployed um she really struggled with showing up at work on time she was a fruit picker for a while they were um both very like underemployed um uh they had either mental health issues or physical health issues that prevented them from keeping jobs or going back to work. Um, Definitely executive functioning issues and the job that literally fit best for Fern anyway. She said that was her like best job. She held on to it the longest. She like left and came back. Um, and for Fern, it was working, or for Hannah, it was working in this deli that was, I think her brother owned it and she ended up sort of living there, like in the deli. There was maybe a storeroom or something she slept in. So wow. they both definitely um, dealt with being unhoused, which was part of how Fern ends up being a stripper. So she's got a violent boyfriend. And when she leaves, she uh, her family wouldn't support her. Um, they were definitely not feeling it. And so that's where she became a stripper because she's like, how do I pay for an apartment? Um, I think this is while she was in college at Oxford, I want to say. And then Hannah oh. was picking apples or something and lived in a tent. So she's like, I had no safety net. I had no fixed address. I had no backup plan. I didn't see a future. Then she ends up sort of pulling things together. Her brother moves, I think, to Melbourne and puts her up in his deli shop or fruit and veg store, whatever it is. Uh, Yeah, it's apartment above his fruit and veg store. And um, then she meets somebody, is in a relationship. They move in together. They get a place together. But then when they break up, one of the reasons she stays in what ended up being a super like unhealthy relationship, I won't say it was abusive, but it was um, it, it was like she was living her girlfriend's life instead of her life. So a little bit of like the autistic naivete. So she was just getting super burned out because her partner always wanted to have parties always wanted to have people over she never had time to recharge when she talked to her partner about this she wasn't like willing to be flexible and so she goes back to living above the fruit and veg store um but stays in the relationship too long because she doesn't want to be homeless again or unhoused again So that is, I think, a cycle that we see a lot. And here is a really interesting, similar but different point in Fern and Hannah's journey. So 
Uh, Fern talks about, and I've never heard anyone talk about it like this. I bet you have. Fern has regular, really bad, really violent meltdowns. Almost every day, like punching walls, breaking things, screaming. Um, Hannah doesn't really have meltdowns. There's like one meltdown in the whole book, but she has shutdowns, regular, long period. And they seem to sort of almost, I don't know, serve the same role in their lives. Like Hannah talks about her shutdowns a lot. And then um, Fern talks about her meltdowns a lot in the book. Do you want to talk a little bit about the difference and like maybe who experiences what and why? Well, uh, so it's all due to a lot of, you know, when we have this buildup of emotional stress, uh, sensory stress, we we just get overwhelmed and our amygdalas kick in and we go into the fight, flight, freeze, fawn response. And uh, I I personally am a shutdown person. I'm a freeze, me too. I'm a... I learned from a very early, I'm a very large guy and I really like my stuff. And I realized from a very, very early age that I cannot lose control of my body because I don't want to my stuff to be hurt. Mm-hmm. I, I really, really like my stuff too much for that. I realized that if I get upset uh, one year, uh, I accidentally ran through my grandmother's wall. And that was just because I misjudged distance. And hey, I just Kool-Aid? flopped backwards. Yeah, yeah, just. Was it a Kool Aid Kool-Aid yeah, yeah, routine? I, yeah, yeah it's just, oh, yeah, crunch. <laughs> they said, Where's Matt? Oh, through the wall. Uh, oh, one time I was walking through the, uh, the, the, the parking lot at Walmart. And this guy in an old truck wasn't paying attention. And the guy in the truck hit me with his truck and his bumper fell off. And uh, I was okay. It knocked me down. But when he got out and saw that his bumper was off, I was like, he said, are you okay? I was like, yeah. Uh, Do you want to call the insurance company? And he said, I don't think they'd believe it. So he just put his bumper in his truck and just drove off because, again, hit me with a truck. The truck got damaged. So... I, I realize that I am a very large person and I need it's the, the 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 whole reason I don't drink and I don't do drugs and that kind of stuff because I can never be out of control. So whenever I get very upset, when I get overwhelmed, uh, I just shut down. I go to my bedroom. I go down to my cave. I go down to where I am overstimulated by good stuff until I am no longer fixating on the things that have hurt me. Mm. Uh, one of my exes was a big meltdown, meltdown person. And really? There are, there are lots. There was, uh, I still have a hole in my closet door from an incident where she got mad and chucked a, a cordless phone at my head. So. Uh, yeah. So yeah. that, so here, read this quote. This is from Fern. And I wonder, I don't know. I think this is interesting. This is what she says about her meltdowns. My parents were so noisy, I had to calm myself down in the evenings by punching my bedroom wall repeatedly or spending hours in my rocking chair. Oh, yeah. The rocking chair is a very popular autistic yeah. thing because you get to just stand yeah. repeatedly. Yeah, and yeah. Yeah. I. But I yeah. wonder about her parents being noisy because and her parents were noisy fighting. They were um, they have a lot of issues. And I wonder like. Okay, my state in my house, my dad was autistic, obviously undiagnosed. He would he would have meltdowns. I don't think we knew that's what they were, but he would have violent outbursts, probably because he was overloaded and didn't have any sense of, I don't know, his meat body, all the things that were happening. And so my whole growing up was walking on eggshells to make sure we didn't set off one of my dad's triggers. Cause it was like living with a, um, what are they like a landmine? You always knew. So we had like this alarm when my dad's car would come off the, up the driveway. And when the car would come up the driveway, like my mom and my sisters and I would be sitting around, we'd be having fun. And then my mom would always sing the party's over because that meant my dad was home. And Uh. so I, there seemed to be 
no rhyme or reason that I could find for what would set him off because it was probably something in his own body, like he, whatever, his body, his mind somewhere. But the belief that my mom conveyed to us was our behavior could determine whether or not he had a meltdown. So there were all these things like my mom would always say, kiss your father, hello. Like if you greet him at the door, if you don't greet him at the door, he's going to have a meltdown. And so that because probably clearly it was your responsibility once. as a child to regulate the adult. Right. And then I, the way I walk, cause again, like proprioception, clumsy, whatever. I'm like, I walk, I don't know, in a way that makes a lot of disturbing noise apparently. So I had to make sure like I didn't walk by my father. So I'd have to find like alternative routes. There was like this list of things that would prevent a meltdown from happening. And all of those things basically are what I do now when something bad is happening. It's like, shut up, be quiet. Like I go into total freeze mode because I think this is my theory. I mean, maybe I go into freeze mode because I just go into freeze mode, but go into total freeze mode because that's what worked best. So fawn does not work for me. People do not find me endearing. I'm not pretty enough. I'm to something unlikable on the oceans test, disagreeable something. That does not fly. So I never, fawn didn't work for me. And like you, fight never worked for me. I look too powerful. When I was um, facing domestic violence with my first husband and I told my boss about it and I was like, hey, I got to go to court. I'm dealing with domestic violence. I'm trying to get a restraining order. And he's like, why don't you just sit on him? Like, I don't get it. You're a big girl. That's a big thing. As, As a guy... There is a lot of judgments about, uh, number one, if uh, if your partner is beating you up, that's a lack of manliness. And yeah, why don't you sit you, on you, her? You should, you should <laughs> clearly stop that. But if you do something about that, then they would inevitably say that you're a wife beater. So right. it, it's damned if you do, damned if you don't. So it's running away and hiding is really the only option that a big guy has. Yeah. When autistic people find a special interest, they go deep and have a lot of knowledge, even if they don't have that formal education background to go with it. If you want to capture your spin in a book, check out Angela's work at differencepress.com, differencepress.com, and find out more about becoming an author and establishing your credibility with a book. Now, Fern, super pretty, super thin, um, you know, conventionally attractive. So I'm like, I wonder if there's some sort, and also her parents being yellers. So there's, it's almost sounds from that quote, I had to calm myself down by punching my wall, that there's this familiarity, which for me, it's the familiarity of freeze. And if I'm a good girl, maybe things won't go to hell in a handbasket. There doesn't seem to be an actual correlation, but my brain seems to do it anyway. Because we repeat the patterns because the Mm -hmm. patterns are comfortable, even if they're self-destructive. Yeah. So I will say Fern is very open in this book about her meltdowns and it is not remotely attractive. So she's very brave. And I think there's a lot of women who would appreciate her honesty highly recommend checking that out. Fern actually, um, so she is in the linguistic autistic category like me, huge reader, huge into writing. She majors in journalism, which is what I majored in. Hannah is much more visual. So she's in that thinking in pictures category. I think she might talk about a little dyslexia, Um, but she sort of struggles to read Um, struggles to write, struggles to comprehend in class. But when she looks at a picture, she can see so many more details and patterns and analysis. So they're both noticing these patterns. Uh, People find them funny. Both of them talk about how they weren't intentionally funny. This is the way. 
they're like just pointing out patterns that are obvious and people are like, you're hysterical. So, and both of them in their twenties before they're diagnosed, see a comedy show and immediately say, I could do this. Yeah. So Fern was actually a journalist and she was covering the fringe. She was working for the Edinburgh Fringe Festival publication. And for the piece, she tries her hand at being a stand-up comic. And um, it was like a So You Think You're Funny competition. Yeah. Um, and she her very first set comes in third. Wow. Um, she... Uh, something super similar happens with Hannah. It was 2006 and she sort of randomly open, uh, uh, enters a stand-up comedy competition and wins. Wow. Um, or actually she came in second, I think. Eh, she won. Something, there's both of them and they got spotted and got agents and it was just literally a natural gift. So both of them try and figure out, why was I naturally so good at this? And and why aren't other people? And they both realize scripting. Ah, there you go. They've both been scripting. They have no problem memorizing because they've been scripting their whole lives. So um, neither of them are great at improv. Um, I think Fern gets better at this, but um, they both describe themselves as slow processors. Yeah. But when it came to writing a script, memorizing it and delivering it, they blew people away out of the gate. Total naturals. I was talking about this with somebody the other day about uh, performance versus, you know, improv. And there's there's this fantastic video of Adam Savage going to puppet up with uh, uh, Brian Henson and the, you know, the, the Jim Henson workshop. And of course, uh, Adam Savage, brilliant, brilliant man, knows so many things. Uh Educated in so many arcane areas of lore, can can describe metallurgy on 13th century suits of armor. But when he got up there, he completely freezes and cannot do the improv because you know he doesn't have anything planned out. And it's it's very painful to watch because you know the the other people there have these brilliant uh, you know ways of intricacies of the the improv and making magic with the puppets and adam savage is one of the most brilliant people on the planet but god he just could not come up with anything in the moment right scripting that's the way to go right so it's really interesting and this comes back to nanette which if you haven't watched watch it and if you have watched it rewatch it and know this about hannah is because you see the patterns, because you're good at scripting, because you script, obviously, every permutation of every possible person's response and thoughts internal and so external. You, can have, you know, the, the AI flowchart of conversation inside your head. Yes. Yes. What, like, so Hannah talks about Nanette as the end of comedy or her quitting comedy, the end of her comedy career. And the reason why is she's using comedy to mask because she's using all these scripts that she knows works to get a certain reaction. And she's like, this is actually fucking me up. I need to quit comedy. So here's what she says about this. Please do this in an Australian accent. No, just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) Everyone in Australia would be mad at me. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Do you know why I'm such a funny fucker? Do you? It's because, you know, I've been learning the art of tension diffusion since I was a child. Back then, it wasn't a job, wasn't even a hobby. It was a survival tactic. I didn't have to invent the tension. I was the tension. And I'm tired of tension. Tension is making me sick. It is time I stopped comedy. I have to quit comedy. Like, even when you read that, it makes me cry. And that's the thing about, you know, when you look at a lot of the funniest performers like Robin Williams, they're all fighting these massive, massive internal battles. And it's a way, uh, oh, uh, Christopher Titus. Oh, my God. I, I so relate to all of his work because it's all about 
dealing with all these horrible relationships and dealing with all this horrible trauma. And of course, looking at it through a lens that we, we have to look through our trauma in a way to make it less traumatic. And to others who haven't experienced it, that seems funny because we look at it from a different way. And this whole masking thing and trying to diffuse the tension by, you know, putting the comedy spin on it. I can see where she's coming from on that. Right? How can I make this acceptable? How can I make myself lovable? How do I make sure I don't get voted off the island? Like, I I remember saying this in, I think it was playing diplomacy. I was sort of obsessed with playing. I don't remember if it was Civ or diplomacy. I think it was diplomacy in college. And I would say, for sure, I will be up against the wall when the revolution comes. Like they are, I am first up. They're like, get rid of this one. Like I knew it. The way I would lose diplomacy every time, I was like, I am so fucked. This is, there is not a way to spin this. And so this is like masking and obviously women and masking is different. You know, we have a way of doing it, but it's still masking is always about self-preservation. It's a survival and comedy skill. is an amazing survival skill. So then when we talk about autism, or Hannah is also diagnosed as ADHD, when we talk about our neurodivergence, it's like, why are you making this your personality? Or you don't look this, or you don't whatever. So it's like, okay, well, I can't mask. I can't unmask. Like you get stuck in this so many ways to do it wrong. And what does work is like pleasing the neurotypicals, performing for emperor neurotypicales, right? It's like, I will put myself out there as a comedian. Now you know how many of those like court jesters were autistic. Exactly. Because it's like, now I have a place in the court. Yeah. And I don't have to talk about my autism and you can accept me. It becomes a minstrel show where we are given the scraps of attention and, you know, food and money by by being different but entertainingly so Mm -hmm. so i think i'm gonna wrap with this hannah gadsby quote because it sort of says the power uh of both of these two books so here you go the myths around autism and adhd have wasted enough of my life so i don't really want to waste any more of my time thinking about them much less writing them down These diagnoses have given me a pathway to understanding myself, and for the first time in my life, I am able to like who I am. If that's not enough for you, if you want me to convince you that I'm autistic or prove that ADHD exists, then you can just go fuck yourself. Pretty much the theme of our show. This is the way. (laughs) This is definitely the way, Hannah and Fern, we're going to send you both mugs. Um, Really, both of these books are about reclaiming the narrative and really realizing why did things go the way they went? How can we make them go differently? And there's the ultimate reclaiming the narrative when Hannah quits comedy and really reinvents it her own way. So highly, highly recommend both of uh, their books and Hannah's comedy work. And I will say Hannah is much further along the journey. Some of the stuff is cringy and maybe fat phobic. And definitely there's a lot of internalized ableism still in Fern's book, but like she's getting there. She is making her way. And uh, I, I feel like I can be I can be generous and give her a wider berth. I know some autistic people haven't loved some things about her book, but I think they're both amazing, especially when read together and definitely watch those comedy specials of Hannah Gatsby's on Netflix. That's awesome. That's what I got, Matt. So uh, those are my favorite funny ladies of comedy. I want to hear something wonderful uh, that has happened in your world this week. Tell me what you love about being autistic. Uh, I I love the fact that T Public brought in uh, a whole bunch of <laughs> mugs and magnets and stickers. And Matt, uh, is your I, new special interest our T yeah, Public store? I, I it really is, and uh, I can't tell if it's massive egotism to see 
my the stuff that I say on mugs and stickers, but I just I love it to death. And I, I collect coffee mugs, so I had to rearrange all of my coffee mugs to make sure that I had enough room for these new coffee mugs. Which and ones been, did you get? You uh, you just oh held man. up. I got I got uh, like eight of them. <laughs> you did. Yeah, yeah, you just yeah. held up. Have you tried? Have, have you tried you, suffering? Have you tried, have you just, tried suffering? just suffering? Uh, the Autistic Academy, the Autistic Culture Podcast, Autistic Meat Body, uh, man, uh, the the tell me about your special interests, curation uh, of mu- uh, mu- oh, museum. Oh, the museum. Creator. That's a good oh, one. Oh, I love that one. Uh, yeah. Friends, family, fictional characters. I love the design on that one. It's so good. Yeah, it's so you good. River gets such a good design with all the and and that's the we thing you, because River. the T Public Store goes to you know Pay River for doing such things, and I've got the magnets. I've got stickers now. I've uh, got like uh, not a duck sticker on my uh, my laptop. My personal favorite. I, I can't show the laptop off because here's the camera for the laptop, mm-hmm. and it's all on the other side, and that can't bend physics but i am so happy with all this stuff and if i wore anything other than just plain black t-shirts i would definitely get some t-shirts too but i may have to branch out just for the purposes of you know doing trainings and uh uh showing off this kind of stuff because i'm just uh, i say this stuff because i like it and i believe in it and to see it on a coffee mug just tickles me and I, I posted in our autistic connections group that uh, being able to see something that you say printed on a pillow is a unique ego stroking and I recommend that everyone have that at least once in their life because it's really really cool we so are I yeah we are all enjoying the merch uh, if you would like 10% off on the merch you could become a paid subscriber that's kind of fun and different um, our paid subscribers also get access to our special um, conversations with Matt and Angela uh, Angela uh, the ask and Audie uh, you can come and ask us anything our next one is coming up on March 20th you just need to be a paid member before that date uh, we also have have our book club episodes, which are for members only, for paying members only. So main podcast feed will always be free, 100% free. Um, But if you want to help us offset some of the expenses of having our um, Substack and having our audio engineer and getting all these podcast episodes live for you, and hopefully someday having our video stream back up, um, all of that is subsidized by your generous donation. Yeah, we, we need to, to pay a videographer one. to take care of the YouTube stuff again. So if you want, uh, uh, sorry, my, uh, my, no, I heard you. Uh, my earphones <laughs> just went out. But uh, yeah, if you if you want to see YouTube come back, uh, please buy merch so that we can afford to pay somebody to do that. Correct. We got our first T Public check. It was one hundred and thirty dollars. Very excited. So, and, <clears throat> and a lot of that wasn't from me. So hey, <laughs> yay. <laughs> Oh my goodness, you guys. Thanks for joining us. If you are a fan of Fern or Hannah, please dump a link to your favorite Fern or Hannah fact below or tell us another autistic comedian that you love. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next week on the Autistic Culture Podcast. Thanks for listening to the Autistic Culture Podcast. If you like this show, you can help other people find it by taking a few minutes to rate and review on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. You can find out more about writing your book with me at differencepress.com. That's difference, D-I-F-F-E-R-E-N-C-E, press, P-R-E-S-S.com. Or getting a psychological evaluation or consult with me at www.mattlowrylpp.com. That's M-A-T-T, Matt, Lowry, L-O-W-R-Y, L-P-P, as in Licensed Psychological Practitioner.com. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. And remember, no one ever changed the world by being like everyone else. Special thanks to our content manager, River Robbins, and Aaron Stoner, our producer for making us look and sound good. Thank you.